I think businesses who aren't doing anything or maybe not doing very much are going to have to really radically shift their perspectives and, and, and start to do some more longer term planning around this as well. Looking after our mental health at work has never felt more important for all of us. So welcome to this very special season of the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and for this series, I'll be talking to experts, CEOs, human resources, diversity, inclusion, and other leaders in their field on the very current and necessary topic of mental health within teams and in the workplace, whether that's in an office or in your home. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. We're doing a special season all about mental health at work. And I'm very privileged to have almost forced, but no, he came willingly, uh, to have Matthew Clements uh, with us today to talk about mental health, but also his own experience. So he's the Senior Diversity and Inclusion uh, Advisor at Herbert Smith Freehills Law Firm. And it's been great to know you for quite a while now because we've done loads of work through my partnership with Medigold Health, supporting your mental health strategy, some of the training piece. So I kind of know some of this from the inside. Welcome to the show, Matt. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's great to join you. Um, as you said, yeah, we've been working together really closely. And I, I, yeah, I feel like we, we know each other's jokes as well. We do. We deliver in <laughs> sessions, which is nice. <laughs> we do. We kind of see them coming. Give them a lead up. So um, for all of our guests, we've got just a couple kind of uh, warm up questions. So I want to jump into those first. Um, what do you think has been the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten about work or your career? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I guess maybe um, kind of not so much advice, but kind of what I find has is, is kind of helped guide me um, kind of through my career is to kind of do what you enjoy um, and kind of what you're passionate about and, and, and to not be scared about trying things and exploring that and finding out what that might be. And I think, you know, when I kind of reflect on my career and my education as well, you know, I spent kind of what seven years of, of education with the aim of, of kind of practicing law um, and it was really only in my third year of, of law school that I, I kind of realized there were other opportunities out there um, that I probably hadn't thought about um, and so I moved into studying a master's in HR which was truly terrifying the first the first couple of months of that it was just very different from what I'd been used to um, and then I started, you know, a, a career in, in learning and development, then realized that my kind of passion was in DNI, um, and then moved to, to kind of a role in, in London as well, where I was, was doing that full time. So I guess those are all like kind of mini leaps of faith. Um, Very much kind so. of, Yeah, kind of along the way. And, and each time I, I think I've, I have kind of stepped out of that comfort zone a little bit, but, but I've grown as well. So um, yeah, I guess that's kind of the guy that, um, has helped me throughout my career so far, as well as kind of having some some really inspiring leaders and role models along the way as well. I love that. So experiment with things that, that work for you. And just because you're on a trajectory, because many people would be like, I've invested six, seven years. What yeah. the hell are you doing going a different direction? But just something in your heart, maybe just kind of felt that that wasn't the right fit for you. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, yeah, and I think I got caught up as well, just in, you know, kind of, 
aiming for something and and kind of all of my kind of energy went into that you know in terms of kind of studying and and um you know trying to kind of forge your career and get experience and you know it was really unsettling when I realized actually I could do something different and it's not something that they they tell you in law school you know you go no. through law school with the EM of practicing um, and no one tells you about all of these other careers that the skills that you develop can be so you know, so helpful so um yeah it was I, yeah I don't regret it I, I kind of definitely made the the right move and I think I have a much more exciting and, and kind of rewarding career um as a result of it after all those steps. So um, second question, was there anything that you needed to unlearn to make yourself better at work? Yeah, I guess kind of um, probably the, the, the main thing was that, you know, I, I, I don't have all of the answers and I, I don't need to have all of the answers either. Um, and that was really helpful. Um, and I think particularly, you know, the value that you know, kind of I bring in, in, in DNI is, is, is about listening to people um, and, and letting them come up with the answers, um, you know, and, and helping to create those spaces where people can feel really seen and heard and, and sometimes, you know, for the first time as well in work. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't rely on me having, you know, um, kind of a cheat book or, or kind of all of the answers to those questions. So, so it's okay yeah. to learn as you go and not feel because uh, because what's the impact of um trying to think you have to have all the answers all the time yeah well i think it's just that that kind of pressure isn't it of mm. um and yeah, the expectation um and i you know you kind of mentioned there around you know kind of learn as you go and i think that's part of it but i think part of it is that you know there there are things that you know i just won't know and and that's where we kind of need to you know, engage with other people and listen to them. And, um, you know, it's not for me to, to have all of the solutions um, to all of the challenges we face, but, but to help, you know, the business and our people navigate those. Um, I think that's the, the kind of the real, the real skill with it. Yeah, yeah, which is a beautiful segue into the topic around mental health at work. So I know yeah. that you guys at Herbert Smith uh, mm. Freehills globally have done a, a whole bunch, but it really did start in London with the, the, the two offices, the, the, the work that you did, which ended up sort of uh, growing into a much bigger thing. Um, so first of all, what do you see are, as some of the challenges when it comes to mental health at work in a law firm in a global pandemic? What do you see? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in a way, the, the pandemic has just exacerbated some of those challenges that already exist, which are around, you know, really intense working environment, long hours, you know, um, kind of that perfectionism um, and, and, and kind of the, the client demands as well. Um, I think those, interestingly, the, you know, those are what I think draws people to that profession as well. Um, and they can feel really empowering, but but also, you know, if you don't have that that kind of proactiveness around resourcing yourself and the resilience and, and building that and de-stressing, then I do think those can become really quickly overwhelming for people as well. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of what we've been doing um, in HSF, um, you know, that has been happening for for many more years than than kind of I've been there. I think probably eight plus years. It, it's kind of been on the the agenda of the firm and, and a real priority as well. 
um, I guess kind of last year in, in October, we, we launched Thrive, which is our um, first global mental health strategy, um, which is really exciting. And, and, and that, you know, kind of drew together all of the work that we had already done, but kind of under really a, a central vision as well um, and something that we could um, talk to our clients about and we could talk to, to kind of other law firms and um, and our own people about as well and, and kind of given us that common language around what what are we trying to do and why is this important um, and that's been yeah that's been hugely helpful and I think really interestingly as well it's it you know that's a strategy that connects with everything that we do in, in diversity and inclusion as well more broadly and our business strategy and um, I think for some people that's quite an interesting connection um, and maybe not a kind of a common area of focus for kind of a strategic focus for for diversity and inclusion teams as well. But I do think there's a really strong connection around well-being and inclusion and, and um, you know, those, all of those outcomes as well. And I'm curious, before we go into some of the other stuff that you've done, what I love about the Thrive strategy is kind of its simplicity, because I've seen so many, um, especially global businesses, you know, get tasked with doing a strategy. First of all, there might be the pushback or the, you know, needing to get the business, you know, like uh, argue it from the, the top level about why we need it. But then it becomes like, oh my God, how many, like well-being can cover everything. If it's global, we've got all these cultural differences, like how the hell do we pull it together? Um, what was your thinking just behind, I mean, the, the simplicity or tackling it on a global scale as, as you have? Yeah, I think we went into it thinking that we we needed to create something that was simple and, and straightforward and that, that people could really easily understand and, and kind of get on board with as well. So um, I guess it exists in, in two forms. It exists one in a, probably a, a six-page document that we prepared for kind of the, the, the business and, and the uh, leadership to, to kind of look through and sign off. Um, and then the second one is, is kind of just a one page infographic on it. And, I love it so much. Yeah. And, and really, that's the that's what we share. We, we don't share the slightly broader six page document, which is probably pretty short. As, Even then, as kind of, for global, the amount yeah. of countries you guys cover, six page. But but I love that it um, covers things like prevention, culture, language, uh, mm -hmm. as well as crisis. So, so many people still are thinking mental health equals how do we deal with crisis? But you guys really, in a simple, straightforward way, tackle it from, from all ends. Yeah, so going in, we, we absolutely set it up for, you know, that it would be relevant and it would apply to everybody in the firm. Um, and that was really important. And it would be proactive in the majority of it, its kind of action as well. Um, and also that it, it would sit within kind of our, our people and culture side. Uh, and, and, and be really intimately connected with that as well. I think what you've seen probably over those kind of eight, 10 years um, is an evolution of how businesses now interact and understand mental health. One from, you know, starting as a, as a risk, which needs to, to kind of be managed, yeah. Yeah. To, to now about, you know, enabling people, you know, enabling performance um, and, um, you know, an inclusive culture as well. And um, I think there are still still organisations out there that, that, that feel more in the risk space. But, um, yeah, for us, we wanted to be really clear about, about that evolution that had happened and, and where we saw ourselves 
been at the minute and, and, and all of the work that we still need to do as well going forward. Sure. Um, and, and I remember when I first uh, sort of met you and we started doing some work together uh, that there had, what was it called? This is me. So where your senior leaders were doing videos to just tell us about that. And then I'd love to go into like what next, what happened next after the strategy. Yeah, so I think that was probably one of our kind of earliest um, things that we did around mental health was was just leaders um, and actually not just leaders, but people from all across the business of, of all levels and in all departments, you know, sharing their stories and then being really open. Um, and I think those really helped to to set that that kind of culture and the tone um, and, and kind of the way that we approach mental health as well. Um, so yeah, they've been hugely valuable, and they've, you know, had lots of different iterations uh, throughout the years. Um, Australia do a slightly different version for "Are You Okay Day," um, and then recently we did um, kind of a new one called "My Story," um, which was experiences through lockdown um, as well, which was yeah really amazing, and we got to see such a, a kind of a human side of people as well. Yeah. Um... So, and I love that you've got your globalized uh, strategy, but there, there are what we call localized action planning. So, so it fits with where they're at or the pace with where they want to start. So, so you launched the, the Thrive strategy. What were your next steps as far as rolling out your programs? Yeah, I, so I think for us, probably the, the priority for this year or year one of the strategy was, was really redeveloping and, and then launching our um, Global Mental Health Champions Program, uh, which we were really intimately involved with. Yes. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Um, Such passionate people who, yeah. who really just wanted to be part of something positive and like uplifting while helping people who, who might be struggling. So it was such a privilege to, to meet so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember kind of the, the first session that we had and, and prior to that, it had just been, you know, kind of me and a few other people working on, you know, what that kind of program looks like, uh, at least kind of in its draft form. And it, yeah, it was so nice to kind of see them people interact with it and change it. And, and I think that's the, what was really important with the program was that it was it was co-created by those people. Um, so we had some individuals who were involved in a, a kind of a legacy program in London and we got them really engaged in, in, in the change, as well as people who hadn't been involved in anything around mental health ever um, and, and kind of brought a really fresh insight to it as well so I think yeah that was a an amazing program it now has we now have five over 500 champions um, across and all, the world. All levels of the business it's worth mm. saying as well so not just maybe more junior people but there's like partners there's just like a, the whole level of people who are passionate which I think is may help to make a difference. Yeah I think you need that um, you know and you know, bringing people from from different offices and different departments, and 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 really, you know, leaning into those different perspectives that people have as well. That that was hugely important. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, really uh, was was kind of helpful for me and has been kind of helpful going forward is to to constantly think about how that program needs to evolve and develop um, and to check in with the, the people who are involved in it and, and, and be really open to feedback as well. You know, I think we've 
we've seen how quickly the world changes and and how you know unpredictable that is and so we we, we set up our program in in you know what you've often termed kind of peacetime and so yeah. very different environment that we're working in today and and how does that program stay relevant and and um, how does it continue to deliver um you know and create an impact i think it's important that we were constantly checking in on that so uh, just talk us through some of the ways that you've, I mean, we've worked closely on this, haven't we, with, with different departments and um, adapting to remote, but also to what people need now. Like we've done more reactive, responsive support, at, you know, um, what, what's changed? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the challenges around connection, um, you know, and, and so much of, of what we do in, in, in mental health, but also just broad, broader DNI is about really authentic, genuine connection with people. Um, and it does sometimes strike me strange that we we have to create these kind of structures and ways for people to kind of come together and such a weird world. It we is. It. It's very strange. Um, so I wish there was a, a a way that we could you know we could all do that so much better um, and with, with maybe without so much effort, but. Um, I think yeah, it is really important that that connection piece maintains. And I think what's been interesting is through COVID, we we've seen some of that shift. Um, so you know, people are connecting in a in a very different way, and we're we're having a you know an insight into to people's lives. We're meeting their partners. We're meeting their pets. We're their you children. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're silently judging their you know taste and decor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like my white wolf. Um, and I think that, you know, that has helped people connect in a very different way and in a more human way, but also at the same time, feel more, you know, we've all felt more disconnected from each other as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, um, it is. And there, there are long term impacts. And so we've been doing a host of, of shorter, more responsive webinars around um, not just well-being, but the buildup of stress, connection, trying to be as practical as possible. Uh, so I think there's more we can say around the future as we see it. Um, so, so let's come back to that. Um, but before we do, Matt, I'd love to know just a bit more of your personal connection to this topic. So like, why is it fulfilling for you? What is the connection to mental health and even diversity and inclusion that drives you? Tell us a bit of your story. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, a really great question and I think you know outside of the the fact that we all have mental health and you know this is an important topic for everyone I think my kind of connection to it on a really personal level comes from what I described earlier that that connection between inclusion well-being and, and kind of bringing your your whole self to kind of work and life um, and being authentic and I think for me then that was ex my experience around coming out probably you know probably now seven, seven years ago, at least kind of initially. Um, yeah, it's absolutely true that, you know, you never kind of stop coming out and there's always new people and new situations and whether that's changing jobs or, or, or meeting new people socially um, as well. And I think, you know, kind of a, a realisation as well that the, you know, LGBT plus community, um, you know, also experience higher levels of mental ill health than some other communities and uh, other groups of people and um, you know, definitely more work that, that we need to do um, to support that as well. 
um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of my connection to it. And um, although when I kind of come out to my mom and my, my brothers and, and their family, you know, I had, you know, kind of completely unconditional support and love. And, and I realized that that's, you know, sadly not the case for everyone. But it was still really difficult. And I of think course. it was. I mean, t- talk us through that process. Like, just the buildup. Were you were you just terrified? Like, what were you afraid of? How did you do it? Like, what was that lead up? And were you just like, I can't live like this anymore? Like, did you know a long time ago? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. And I think, um, you know, I often think that you know the work that I do and and the work that others do on making kind of societies and our workplaces more inclusive. Um, I think it's still, you still have that personal journey first, even though, you, you know, the environment can be fully accepted. I think it makes it easier, but there's still a realisation that actually I'm different from the majority of people. Um, and I think that comes with, with you know, a, a challenge um, and, and kind of a challenge around mental health as well, um, particularly if you're you're kind of doing that on your own. So I think, yeah, that realization of difference, that that fear also of, of kind of non-acceptance um, is very real. You know, I would would wake up and I would read in the in the news or watch TV and, you know, it would be people debating about whether I should have the same rights as my brothers. Um, yeah. you know, and and that's that has an impact um, and that just gets absorbed yeah. um, as well. And then I think, yeah, my my kind of experience leading up to, to kind of coming out for me, I I um I felt that as kind of a or that showed up for me as kind of this mounting pressure, um, kind of a mm. build up both kind of physically and emotionally that I just couldn't kind of contain. Um, and I think then, you know, they, once you do come out, once you do start to talk to people, then it's it's that realization that okay, this is not a conversation that I can't get away from and people want to talk to me about it. Um, and so that's that's challenging in itself. Right. You, can't, you can't hide anymore um, and you can't, you know, choose not to have that, that kind of conversation, I guess. So, yeah, I guess... So, it, so it, having the first talk is only the first step is what you're saying. And then it's like your whole life is goes on a different trajectory in a way. Yeah, I think so. And I think that kind of almost kind of sudden loss of control at least initially is control of I think control of of kind of the message how people see you you know that behavior towards you yeah yeah um and and just suddenly that this is something that other people know and you know I have to confront um yeah I think initially that that can be really scary Um, I guess what I would say is that, you know, it, it absolutely kind of gets better. And there's that's not to say that there are diff- not days when, you know, I don't feel different or kind of my, my difference is, is kind of really brought into to sharp focus. But I think you get better at navigating those situations as well. And, you know, I, I wouldn't change who I am. And I think it's it's brought me, you know, kind of additional insights. It's brought me a... Uh, Kind of an amazing drive in, in what I do and, and and kind of greater empathy and connection with other people um you know and I honestly don't think I would probably be in the career that I am um, in, in DNI with, without it as well so um yeah it's, it's given me a, a, some fantastic opportunities 
Absolutely. And you can see that in the passion uh, that, that you work with. I'm curious about, you said to me <laughs> earlier, um, I didn't tell my mother face to face yeah. and that was your first person. Instead, you wrote a letter. So I'd love to know what was that, what, what, what was that letter like, the, the reaction, uh, but equally, how did you feel about that being the way that you mm. came out? Yeah. And yeah, interestingly, that was probably a, within weeks of me kind of graduating from, from law school. And on top of that kind of buildup of pressure, one of the other kind of driving factors behind it was, you know, I, I, I didn't want to graduate without people knowing kind of who I was and, mm. and kind of without being mm. authentic. And for me, I felt that if I did and, and people didn't know that that would somehow invalidate, you know, my achievement. And, you know, I, I look back on that now and think that's, you know, clearly not that, would, you know, that would never be the case, but that's what it felt like. And that was kind of, I guess, the, the um, you know, part of the driver for it as well. But um, yeah, as you said, I, I kind of, um, yeah, I spoke to my mum first. Well, I didn't speak to her. I wrote her a letter um, and, and then kind of panicked and was absolutely terrified. And I'm sure she, she absolutely panicked as well when she read it. <laughs> Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was hugely positive and I've always had kind of that unconditional support and love from her and, um, you know, that, that never changed. I guess, you know, kind of even seven years later, you know, I, I look back on that moment and, I, and I, I kind of feel guilty about it and I feel guilty that, you know, I, I didn't have the courage to, to talk to her face to face, at least initially, you know, that I, I couldn't find the words to do that other than kind of writing a letter um and yeah that's been kind of difficult I think at times um were you hard and, on yourself for that yeah yeah um and I think it was only actually kind of a, a few weeks ago that 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 changed and and the reason why it changed was I was I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and I came across um, a post from from this other guy who had um taken a photograph of the letter that he had written his mum um 10 years ago um to kind of come out and yeah I just saw myself reflected in that um and and I think that was probably the first time that I thought I, I kind of paused and I reflected and I I think I was able to look back then on a, a kind of a much younger and, and really terrified you know self and but with kindness and, and to say actually you, you were courageous and you you were authentic and you know you have absolutely nothing to to feel ashamed about and um, yeah so that's yeah that's been a um, really interesting i think and yeah only a, a kind of a realization that i've had in the past few weeks but so amazing what we can learn from that which is when other people share their process of something difficult or their mental health challenges or coming out whatever it might be the ripple effect on other people, like it's had this profound impact and you just saw his letter, right? So, so talking about our stories and just saying, this was hard for me, th there's this ripple effect that we may not know anything about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how, how powerful was his letter for me that day that I saw it? And, you know, in a way that I guess that's kind of healed a little part of me that, that for a number of years, I, you know, I, I, I felt bad about it. Um, and I probably shouldn't have. So yeah, huge, yeah, huge impact that you can create by, by being authentic and, and sharing part of who you are. 
yeah, it gives permission for other people and, and we realize we're not alone or we're not the, the, the crazy ones or the, the ones who lack courage. And it also reminds me that many people who are struggling with their mental health, uh, a therapist or a friend might not be the first place they go because they don't know what's wrong with them in quotations. Uh, and so it's terrifying to go, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. This might, I'm, I'm experiencing these symptoms. I don't know what they are. And often uh, in many of the podcasts we've had, the first step has been going on to an online forum, putting out an anonymous something uh, sort of post around what they're feeling. And then the engagement of people going, me too, me too. I feel that too. This bit was hard for me too. I judged myself internally too, right? So it's just yeah. interesting that sometimes that's the first step before just to get us brave enough to talk to people or, or to, to, to come out every day as you often have to. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all share our stories and we all share parts of ourselves in, in very different ways. And there's no, there's no kind of right or wrong way to do that. And there's no right or wrong time to do that. And, you know, some days it's, um, you know, you might feel braver and, and other days, you, you know, you, you don't want to share that. And that's, that's part of you and you feel vulnerable. And, and that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's definitely something about you know being much more open and, and and creating those opportunities for people to to share and to connect in in a in a very human way. I love that, and and so I, I want to just connect this into the diversity inclusion role that you have. Mm -hmm. What what's one or two things that you wish people knew? about diversity and inclusion within the workplace? Like, do you get stupid questions sometimes of just people like, why do we have this department? Or surely we're all, um, you know, inclusive anyway. Like, what do you think, what do you wish people knew so that they could, I guess, help build momentum with inclusivity? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Um, I guess maybe two things. One is that, you know, inclusion is for everybody um, and, you know, yes there are groups that have historically been you know excluded or find it more challenging um or you know do not feel that they fit in the same way within many of the cultures that we've created over you know tens and, and hundreds of years in business um but but it's it's absolutely about everyone feeling that they have a a, a place where they can belong and a culture in which they can be themselves as well so I think that that's one that's really important. And I think sometimes people think that it's about, you know, select groups of, of people. Um, and I don't think that's true. And I think secondly, that, you know, this is work and um, something that's important for everyone to do. Um, and it can be the sole responsibility of, you know, a small team within the business to, to shift the culture, you know, that, takes a huge amount of time and effort and it and it takes really the commitment of everybody um, and for everyone to see that that's a priority um, as well so yeah I guess those are the, the two things that I, yeah I wish I, I love people would, would know more yeah. I love those two um and so finally I'd love to just do a little bit of future gazing um do you feel like the world is forever changed with this remote working and this pandemic stuff like is it the new normal now forever what do you think yeah i mean i guess i've i guess i've kind of settled into this being the new normal and that's brought i guess some comfort for me as well to just get back into some of my 
my kind of um, routines again. Um, I do think there's been a shift in attitudes around mental health um, more recently. And I think, you know, that has has been both positive and negative. I think that the, the downside of that is we're seeing that, you know, more people are experiencing mental ill health mm-hmm. um, and that they're kind of normal, you know, coping mechanisms and their support structures are either hugely reduced or, or actually no longer accessible to them. Um, and I think there's a real um, challenge around that. I think if we were to look for, you know, the, the silver lining within that, which sometimes is, is, is a really uh, not a great phrase, um, but the silver lining is that I think leaders and, and individuals who perhaps haven't been engaged in, in this sort of space before have kind of woken up and they, they've, they've been either personally impacted by it or they, they've seen how it's kind of played out within their teams as well. And I think that's led to kind of greater understanding, greater awareness um, that this is a, a priority both for individuals, but also for teams and as a business. Um, and then kind of greater engagement as well. And I, I really hope that that maintains um, when we're kind of on the other side of this and, and whatever that, that kind of world looks like. Love it. Um, and so what are the plans for DNI mental health within HSF? Like, do you, can you do some visioning around what you guys are putting in place? Or are you trying to let the dust settle? I guess, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of being confident in the, the strategy that we set up. And, you know, we, we have looked back on it in, you know, with a COVID lens and actually everything remains as relevant as yeah. it was, you know, 12 months ago. I, I think probably the one thing that is different is, is connection. And I, I, I think we, we, we maybe didn't put that as, as kind of strongly across in, in the strategy. And I think that has come into kind of really sharp focus. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about how we've witnessed that, that connection really change for people um, connecting more deeply, but also, you know, on the flip side, feeling more disconnected from teams. So I think that has to be a priority for us um, in the next six, 12 months is, is, is how those teams connect and how individuals feel supported. And um, yeah, so I think probably one of the other other things is then just, you know, continuing to, to collect that, that kind of feedback and be open to insights, you know, listen to our people, what are they kind of experiencing? What are they telling us is important? I think this is a time where we need to be really led by by them and um, and really engage with them as well. I think, you know, kind of post-COVID, I think you'll see that, you know, um, future talent is is going to be expecting so much more from businesses and, and their leaders in, in this space. Um, and, and I think businesses who aren't doing anything or maybe not doing very much are going to have to really radically shift their perspectives and, and, and start to do some um, some more longer term um, planning around this as well. Um, I think for us, you know, as, as people start to kind of transition back into, into office working, um, you know, it's agile and, and, and remote working, I think is absolutely here to stay. Um, and, you know, we, as a firm, we've recently launched our, our kind of an updated agile working policy. And um, so when people are back in the office, the, um, you know, they will um, be expected or I guess kind of the, the average is that people will work, you know, 60% of their time 
in the office. Um, and I think that has really amazing positives around, you know, facilitating kind of um, you know, going to the gym and other kind of commitments and, and well-being and, and, and inclusion more generally. I think it's challenging if we think about how do we build and maintain those inclusive teams in a remote environment where some people may be, you know, um, not in the office and others others will be. Um, and I think, you know, how, how do we communicate in those sorts of situations and, and do we need to get better at that? And do we need to have, you know, more discussions around how people like to work and, and where they mm. like to work and when they like to work and, and how we respect those, we're mindful of, of people's different different working styles as well. Yeah, and I guess that it's more about outcomes and results rather than exactly, you know, looking over people's shoulder about the, the types of hours or, or ways that they're working. Um, so many good insights and ideas for companies. I love it. Just to close, what is your one or two like non-negotiables, things that you do to look after your own mental health? Yeah. Um... So I guess probably a year ago or a little bit more ago, I uh, started um, yoga, which has been kind of, yeah, transformational in my life. I, I need to do more of it. But um, yeah, I remember going to my first kind of couple of classes and, and that was the first time that I could really switch off from everything else that was going on. And, um, you know, I, at that point had had moved to London probably about eight months prior. And, um, you know, this is a really challenging city to, to kind of live and work in and, and to find space where you're on your own with your oh, thoughts. Yeah, very, so, almost impossible. <laughs> yeah, so that has been been really important. Um, and then I, I kind of, yeah, started um, cycling over, over lockdown, which has been really helpful, helped me to kind of feel like my world was slightly bigger than, than just my apartment. Um, so yeah, there was a, become really quickly those my kind of two non-negotiables of of kind of getting getting exercise and, and, and getting some time for myself as well i love it matt thank you so much for coming on to the show and giving us both your personal and workplace insights we really appreciate it yeah thank you as always we've covered a lot of areas that you may feel you want to learn more about if you would like a free well-being assessment for your company, email us at hello at petravelzebor.com. That's hello at P-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-Z-E-B-O-E-R.com. Or check out our website, petravelzebor.com.